The Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. This morning to go with me to Romans chapter number 12 again. And of course, in, uh, in Romans 12, we began last week uh, this series that we've entitled Transform. That we find that word, of course, there in verse number 2 of Romans 12. And now, from this point forward, through the end of the book of Romans, Paul begins to focus uh, more uh, uh, tangibly, if you may, on the, on the effects of what God has already done internally. Of course, he's been very doctrinally uh, focused through chapter 1 all the way through chapter number 11 thus far, and uh, specifically in the area of salvation and how one comes to know Christ as their Savior. But now he's, he's, bringing, it round, uh, he's bringing it full circle, and he's saying to the believers, to, the, to those that are in the church at Rome, now that you know what God has done for you, this is how it ought to affect you. This is what, how it is applied uh, personally. This is how it is applied tangibly to the believer's life. Now before he got too deep into those things, he started in verses 1 and 2, just as a reminder, if you may, that because Christ has saved us, he desires for us to be a living sacrifice. He desires for us to be totally surrendered. He desires for us to be completely yielded to His will, to His way, through His Holy Spirit that now indwells us. Of course, then He moves on in giving us some tangibles on what it looks like to live for Him and how to accomplish His work and His will in our lives. But I want you to pick up with me in verse number 3. You read along silently as I read aloud and look at Romans 12 and verse number 3. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body and all members have not the same office, so we being many uh, are one body in Christ and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophesy, prophecy, let us prophesy, let us prophesy according uh, to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us uh, wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth our teaching, on teaching, in verse number eight, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, and he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Our Father, we do thank you this morning for this opportunity to be in your house, and, and we do want to glorify you today. We want to just to praise you for who you are. We want to lift you up. We want to make you known. And Lord, I ask now that you give me the word to speak as I deliver your word today. Help me to say nothing more, nothing less than you'd have me to say. And Lord, as we uh, consider your word, help us to have an open ear to hear it, an open heart to receive it, and then uh, a, 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 a life that is ready to apply it and to use it. And Lord, we want to magnify you and praise you and honor you in everything that is said and done here this morning. And we ask that your will would be accomplished through it. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, traditionally, you might have considered the term to be, or have heard it to be, child prodigies, right? But when you get to uh, the educational realm, uh, sometimes educators will often give the label as gifted or talented. 
all it's saying is this, that this is a young person that has been blessed with unbelievable intelligence, a young person that has amazing artistic talents, or maybe a young person who seemingly uh, has unnaturally, unnatural physical abilities. Like it just, it, it seems like no one should be able to accomplish these feats that this individual is accomplishing. How many of you have, uh, have uh, heard that terminology, a gifted child? Anybody hear, hear that? Yeah, we, we, probably, we probably all have. If you're not necessarily familiar with the term, you're probably familiar with what it represents and what it speaks of. An example of a child prodigy or a gifted child would have been, would have been that of Mozart. Uh, of course, Mozart uh, learned to play the piano at the age of four. He composed his first piece of music uh, at the age of five. And by the age of eight, he had wrote his first symphony. Another example would be that of Picasso. And uh, by the time he became a teenager, he was already, already a, a, a renowned and well-established artist as a teenager. More recently, and maybe even more familiar to the sum, would be the name Tiger Woods. We can think of Tiger Woods and what his career in golf has been able to accomplish. But you might have even, if you are prone to watching late night television, remember seeing Tiger Woods as a two-year-old hitting golf balls on The Tonight Show as just two years of age. And we find that over and over, throughout history, throughout the different things in our, in our world today, we, we come across these people who are gifted children or child prodigies, if you may. But another name you might, have recon you might recognize, it might kind of be new to you, but is the name of Michael Kearney. Now, Michael Kearney got his popularity mostly when he went on the TV game show of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire?, and won a million dollars. And, uh, and so he won a million dollars, but that's not the most astonishing thing about this man's life. See, Michael Kearney, he was no doubt a child prodigy because he managed to finish high school at the age of six years old. His first college degree was accomplished by the age of 10, and he actually began teaching in college at the age of 17. He spoke his first words by four months old, and by the age of six months, his parents took him to his pediatrician, and at six months old, he self-diagnosed himself when he looked at, his, uh, at the doctor and said, I believe I have a left inner ear infection, <laughs> and no doubt he did. The crazy thing about it is uh, he had learned to read by the age of 10 months, and Michael, when Michael was four, he was given a diagnostic test from John Hopkins University in the math program. And without having specifically studied for this exam, achieved a perfect score. He is a child prodigy. He is a gifted child. Now, my friend, I give that story because we've already studied through the book of Romans from chapter 1 to chapter number 11, very doctrinally focused. As I said already, Paul is now kind of switching gears to give us some information about how that truth affects our life and how it is applied in our life today. Now, having provided the instruction necessary for us to know how to live for God and how to yield to the Spirit, he is turning his attention to our behavior and action that ought to result from a transformed life. Let me say this this morning before we go any further. 
contrary to popular opinion, the believer has not been saved so that they might be shelved. The believer has been saved to serve. If we're still on this earth, and if the Lord hasn't called us home into his presence, then he has left us here for a purpose. Now with that thought in mind, with the fact that we've been saved to serve him, to live for him, and to give our lives for him, what does that look like? I mean, that truly has to be an overwhelming thought to tackle. I mean, here we have the God that created us, the God of all the universe, and we're supposed to live for him, and we're supposed to serve him, and we're supposed to do his will. That seems as though that's a very mighty task to tackle. And Paul knew that to be the case. He knew that it wasn't necessarily the easiest of things to do. In fact, he realized that knowing that it wasn't the easiest thing to do, he said, it isn't even something that you do yourself anyways. It is a work that is accomplished through God working through you. It is when we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit that we're able to accomplish this life. See, my friend, I'm here to tell you this morning that the Christian life is able to be lived by sinful human beings, not because we have talents, physically speaking. Not because we've been gifted in our life, physically speaking. But we're able to live the Christian life because we've been gifted certain gifts by God. I'm here to pro pronounce you today as a gifted child. Because my friend, you and I are children of, Christ, of God if we know him as our Savior. You and I are brothers and sisters in Christ if we know Christ as Savior. And, the, and we have just read here in Romans chapter number 12, beginning in verse number 3 through verse number 8, that God has gifted every believer with certain gifts. And he's given them those gifts so that they might use, him, use them for him. Sometimes people take and... They take the talents and the gifts that God has given them, and they use it for self. They use it for worldly gain. But my friend, we read here in Scripture that whatever God has gifted you with, He wants you to in turn use it for Him. See, I believe that a, a Christian will never enjoy a happy and fulfilling Christian life apart from a surrender and a service to God their Lord. It's impossible for us to truly experience this victorious Christian life if we're not surrendered to serving the Lord with our life. And so I'd like to take a few moments and consider what has been written here by Paul in Romans 3 through verse number, uh, Romans 12, verses 3 through verse number 8. And as we think about the fact, we are gifted children. Now, I didn't finish high school by six years old. I barely finished high school by 18 years of age, all right? I'm not talking about physically being gifted in that way but i'm talking about the lord spiritually enabling us with his power to accomplish his will now one thing about gifted children it's not always the case but it can a gifted child someone who's very talented can be prone to be kind of becoming prideful can they not kind of thinking they're better than others they're they're more advanced and oh i learned that when i was like two years old i mean of course, E equals MC squared, right? And all that. Is that right? <laughs> but anyway, uh, you can get this attitude of being prideful. But notice, as Paul is instructing us, he's saying, listen, you're a gifted child. God's equipped you with gifts to serve him with. 
Notice his warning to us, though. Number one, this morning, as a gifted child, we ought to live as a humble servant. As a gifted child, we ought to live as a humble servant. Notice what he says in verse number three. He says, for as I say through the grace uh, that is given uh, unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. See, Paul well understood the need for humility regarding our service for Christ. And he offers us this instruction, this instruction to every believer of living humbly before their fellow believers, living humbly before their God. He starts off with a caution at the first part of verse number three. He says this in verse number three, he says, through the grace that is given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. And he offers this caution and concern to Christian service to say, listen, don't get too high-minded. Don't get too boastful. Don't get too proud into your service for the Lord or to what you do or to the talents that you possess or the things that you're able to accomplish because it's not of you anyways. It's through the Lord that's equipped you with these things. Remember when we were in chapter number 11 and he warned the uh, Gentiles to not glory in themselves as being given the opportunity to be saved and be part of the the family of God uh, because he said it was given to them by the grace of God. He warned them of pride there. He warned them of becoming boastful and, and, and uh, thinking too highly of themselves there. And here again, he, he reiterates that same thought of being careful of thinking too highly or too proud about ourselves. I haven't necessarily seen it here at Mountain Vista, but I have known some who feel like they're God's gift to society and to the church as a whole. I've known people who feel like that if If they weren't here to serve God, then, man, God would just be put out because he wouldn't be able to accomplish it without them. And that's the exact attitude that Paul's warning against. See, the scripture tells us that when we yield ourselves to God and he gives us blessings, he wants to give them so much that they will will overflow. Like, they're just so abounding, they'll overflow. He also wants to use us in ways that are unimaginable sometimes. Like, in ways that we can't even fathom. We don't even know right now how God wants to use us. He just wants us to surrender and say, get on for the ride. But when people experience those things, sometimes pride is able to rise up and say, look at me. Look at what I've done. Instead of saying, praise God. To God be the glory for the things he's done. And Paul's giving this caution against that. See, Paul knew that some felt as if the work and the ministries of God rested somehow solely upon their own abilities and their own accomplishments. That's why he wrote in Galatians. Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 3, he said, For if a man thinketh himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. James, the half-brother of Jesus, would write in in James 4 verse number 6, he says, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Can I remind you that back in Paul's day and in this early church of Rome's day, this was a tactic of Satan that he would use to try to cause division within the church and to try to get the focus off of God and back onto man. And just as it was a tactic in in Paul in this early church's day, it's a tactic of Satan in our day today also. 
our, our world is full of pride. Our wor world is just completely eaten up with this prideful mindset. And we must remind ourselves that God himself said he hates pride. We find here that Paul is warning, he's given a caution uh, about becoming too prideful about our service for the Lord. It's easy to find ourselves in a position where we think that the church could not function without our help. Now, as we'll see in just a bit, we all have a part to play within this ministry here. But can I remind you that thousands of years before I was ever born, the church was doing okay? And when I go off the scene, the church will be just fine as well. Because it, Jesus said, upon this rock. And let me remind you, that's not Peter, the first, the first pope. It's upon this rock, Jesus Christ. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. See, the church is the Lord's. And it was flourishing before I was ever born. Mountain Vista was a church that was flourishing before I ever came as pastor. And the, if it's still around and the Lord tarries the day I, I take my last breath and I'm no longer around, it's going to be okay as well. Because it's the Lord's church. We cannot get ourselves too high-minded into thinking that we bring too much to the table. The only thing we bring to the table is an empty vessel in the Lord's hands. He gives a caution when he speaks of us being a humble service, servant. He cautions us to stay humble and not to be prideful, but then he challenges us. Notice the latter part of verse number three. He says, don't think too high, more highly than you ought to think, but think soberly. According as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. See, he challenges us here to, to think soberly. And that term soberly has the connotation or the idea of balanced thinking. It means being sane and of a right mind. Do you remember what Paul wrote to Timothy? He wrote to Timothy and said, God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a what kind of mind? A sound mind. And that's exactly what Paul is challenging each and every believer there in Rome and each and every believer here in Mountain Vista today to think soberly about their service for God. That means that we think with a humble heart, balanced thinking that God, the God of all the universe, would desire to use me. And instead of thinking that I'm something special, to think of, man, what an opportunity. See, people... People who think they're more, uh, they're, they're, they're more special than they actually are, they begin picking and choosing what they want to do. But the one who just sees it as a, a tremendous opportunity jumps at whatever opportunity is given to them and whatever is ahead of them. See, we ought to serve faithfully. We ought to serve with a good attitude. And we ought to serve faithfully with a good attitude wherever God has placed us. I've known some people that want to serve in the church, and sadly, their motives behind serving in the church was in the wrong place. For when they were given a place to serve, maybe it was to clean the church and do some custodial work, it wasn't good enough for them. They wanted to be in the limelight. They wanted to be the one that was able to be seen and the one that was able to be heard and the one that was able to get the applause and everything. They wanted to be in the choir, even though they didn't, weren't gifted with a voice. And they want the applause of men instead of hearing, well done, my faithful servant. And when, they get in, when a person has that type of an attitude, 
They're not happy with where they've been placed because they're not looking to serve God. They're looking to serve themselves. Can I reiterate it this way also? I know that there's some here this morning that the reason why you're in Sierra Vista is because Uncle Sam has placed you here. See, I love Sierra Vista. But I've heard some people who say, I don't like this place. I don't want to be here. The only reason I'm here is I have to be here. And I understand it. I, I, I get it. I get the fact that the, the desert is not everybody's cup of tea. You might want that hot, humid weather that makes your hair all frizzy and all that type of thing. Yeah, nah, you can keep that stuff, all right? I'll keep the dry. It's a dry heat. That's right. But I know some aren't necessarily here because they want to be here. But if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, let me remind you that your life is in God's plans and in his hands. And if he's, if he's allowed you to be here, it's here for a purpose. So serve God faithfully and with a good attitude, no matter where Uncle Sam has put you. You might be here because you don't necessarily want to be here, but you have a place to serve God still. We ought to serve him wherever we are at. See, I can't, we all can't serve in the same position either. Wouldn't it be crazy if every single one of us stood up here on the platform and preached our own messages? That'd be quite confusing. Everyone can't be the pastor. Everyone can't be the teacher. Everyone can't be the helper. Everyone can't do, be everything. But as we serve in our respective positions, it all works together for the body of Christ. How many of you, without telling me your ailments, how many of you have something in your body that isn't necessarily functioning like it ought to? Anybody like that? How's that, how's that make you feel? Don't you wish that it functioned perfectly? Don't you wish that it worked like it wants? Well, my friend, when we're not serving in the Lord's house like he expects us and gifted us to, then our church body is just like that body that's broken down somewhere. It's not functioning to its fullest potential. It's not functioning in the way that it was created to function. That's why we don't get upset about where the Lord has placed us to serve. We just bask in the fact that he's allowed us to. And that's why the psalmist wrote in Psalm 84.10, For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Not only do we see number one this morning as Paul is speaking. Listen, he's gifted every single one of the believers. He's given you a gift to serve him. But as a gifted child of God, we need to make sure that we live as a humble servant. As a gifted child of God, number two, we need to make sure that we live as a, har a harmonious sibling as well. How many of you know Christ as your Savior? Raise your hand, shout amen, whatever. Amen. That, you know what that means? You're my brother and my sister. Because as a child of God, we're our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul then goes on to say that as God has gifted us, with a gift to serve the Lord in the local body, that we come together as siblings or children of God and fulfill those positions, and we ought to do it in unity. Because, my friend, here's the deal. Closely related to humility, which we just spoke about, uh, for those who serve the Lord, it is their unity with one another in service. 
my friend, humility apart from unity will accomplish very little. But let me uh, make sure that you understand this morning or the phrase that I'm using. I'm saying unity, not uniformity. Our world today calls for uniformity. That's why you see these riots that are going on and, the, and things that are in the world today where people are peaceably sitting at restaurants outside at tables and because they won't hold up a sign or won't say certain words, then that table is flipped over and their whole meal is destroyed. It's not that they want to be unified. I can be unified with not saying the, without saying the exact same things that you're saying. But they're wanting uniformity. They want everybody to fall in line and do exact. My friend, we're all different. God has created us that way. And unity is accomplished through God, not in and of ourselves. In his book, The Pursuit of God, A.W. Tozer wrote this, quote, Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos, all, to the, all tuned to the same fork, are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord being tuned not to each other, but an, to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. What he's saying is this, that just as that piano or that orchestra is tuned to one thing, they don't, that piano doesn't press the middle C and say, okay, now you press your middle C and make sure we're tuned together. And then take another piano and go to another piano and say, okay, I was tuned to this one, so if you tune to me, well, that's not how it works. They all tune to the same tuning fork, and therefore then all of them are in tune together. And for unity in the church, I don't go to Miss Beverly and say, okay, how do you think about this? And what are you, what's your opinion on this? Okay, I need to make sure our opinions match together. And then the two of us then go to Brother Sam and say, how do we see things? Make sure we all three, and then, and then we uh, go back here to Brother David and say, all right, how do you see things here? And we all, now all four are trying to get unified together. That's not how unity takes place. But how unity takes place within the church is when we all agree that Jesus is Lord and his word is the final word. And when we all live by this book, no matter how different we might be, we're all unified. See, I grew up in a different place than you grew up. So my palate of taste and desires of food is probably different than yours. Most people did not grow up eating a frozen pizza every single day in their life of high school for lunch. I did, though. And if I had my way, I'd still eat it. And it'd be okay. Who said amen? We're unified right there. You probably are thinking every single day in your high, before high school, you ate a frozen. Weren't you tired of it? No, absolutely not. You would say, man, I would be tired of it after the first day. I wouldn't want something that's the same thing the very next day. Hey, you know what? That doesn't mean we're not unified. That just means we're different. Being unified doesn't mean that I have to match my grocery list for this week to yours my meal plan to yours. Being unified doesn't mean that I have to match my taste of music to yours. All music ought to glorify God. 
but the style in which it is delivered doesn't have to match exactly mine. Brother Brandon just uh, stood up here and he sang, To God Be the Glory. It's a very classic song, and it's very almost classical even in its arrangement as well. Personally, myself, I love more of a southern gospel type of feel. But what I'm saying this morning, we might not have the same taste in genre or style, as long as it all glorifies God, that's what matters most. And I can be unified in it, and I can still enjoy it. I can sit down with my children and sing Jesus Loves Me and enjoy that. I'm not going to listen to it every day in my car. Well, maybe I will with Patch and all that type of thing. But, you know, I'm not going to do it on a regular basis on my own. But I can still enjoy it. And I can still enjoy it with them because I'm in unity with it. Are you following what I'm saying? You don't dress like I dress. And ladies, I sure hope not. (laughs) I hope I don't dress feminine, all right? But just because I dress differently than you doesn't mean that we're at odds with each other. The thing that unifies us is Christ. You say, Pastor, why do you keep talking about all this? Because that's what Paul goes on to say next. As we live as harmonious siblings, notice verse number four. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, As he's speaking about us being harmonious siblings, we can be harmonious with each other, even with the diversity that is found within our body. There's many members in one body. We've all got different gifts. We've all been given, uh, not been given the same office. But regardless of our position or where we serve or how we serve for the Lord or what we do for the Lord, We all belong as believers to the body of Christ. And in order for the body to function as it should, as it to function as a whole, each member must be in their place while making specific contributions which benefit the body as a whole. Can I ask you, does your big toe look just like your ear? No, it doesn't. Because they serve different purposes. And does serving in the nursery look exactly like preaching the the message this morning? No. But they serve different purposes and they're all necessary for this work to be accomplished in the way that it needs to be accomplished. I'll tell you this, my friend. You don't want me in the nursery. (laughs) Ladies have been gifted. I'm telling you, you're a gifted child. And ladies have been gifted because when the, when the baby's in the nursery, when that toddler's in the nursery, and they get a, a, a little hot under the collar, and they start throwing their temper tantrum, and they bite the teacher, and that, that lady looks at it, oh, no, 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 sweetie, don't do that. That's not nice. No biting. Baby, if the, if the toddler would have bit me, I would have bit him back. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not made like that. I've not been gifted in that area. With all joking aside, of course, the truth is, though, while, while someone's in that nursery rocking a child who was fussy at first, trying to get them to quit crying, they are serving God through that so that a mother who needs to be fed from the word of God as I preach is able to hear it without distraction. Ladies, you might not think that that role is as important as it is, but have you heard a baby cry yet since I preached? 
that shows you how important it is. And each and every one of us has been given gifts to serve the Lord in certain places. We're going to talk more about that in a moment. Don't, don't, don't miss me there. But in order for us to be harmonious, in order for, us to, for there to be fruitfulness within the body, each member must be in their place contributing, contributing to the work of God where he has them. Take your Bibles if you wouldn't go to 1 Corinthians 12 if you'd like. Just listen on if not, but 1 Corinthians 12, I'm going to highlight several verses, and then I'm going to share for you to maybe jot down and read these verses later on as well, and it's still, still in that same chapter, because this chapter of 12 of, of 1 Corinthians speaks much about the gifts and the work of God and the body of Christ as well. But notice 1 Corinthians 12 and verse number 4. Now there are diversities of gifts. There again, we can be unified by be, still being diverse. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Verse number 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. Verse number 18. But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it hath pleased him. Let's never forget that if we have a service for the Lord in a local church, it's because the Lord's allowed it. He's placed us there. Verse number 27, now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. So we find here that as we are harmonious as siblings, as children of God with one another, serving him in the body of Christ, in this church, we find there's going to be diversity, no doubt, but it still can, we can still be in unity. Notice the development of this unity, though, in verse number five, and the development of how we work together for the cause of Christ. Verse number five, so we being many, are one body in Christ. We being many are one body in Christ. And again, Paul reminds us that although we are many and we have various diverse gifts, we all make up this community of believers that have the same goal in mind, and that is to serve our God. Notice the dependence of, our, of one another, though. Read the last part of verse number five with me. Verse number five says, and everyone members of what? One another. Each and every one of us have a part to play. And each and every one of us depend on the other to play their part. I played sports growing up and baseball, of course, was my favorite, still is today. Baseball is, uh, team is, as far as what's on the field, is comprised of nine individuals. Pitcher, catcher, first base, second base, shortstop, third base, left field, center field, right field. And if the team only had nine players, nobody on the bench, if a couple players just didn't show up, it hurts the team. Because now you've got to figure out what position isn't going to be played. And then also, some positions are just necessary, so that means if, for instance, there has to be a pitcher. So if the pitcher didn't show up, and, you, and some, somebody's got to pitch. So who are you going to put out there? Well, maybe the shortstop will pitch. Well, that means that the shortstop's pitching, that shortstop's left there, and that's going to be a big hole right on the infield. So is now is the third baseman going to shift over and try to play short and third? You see where I'm getting at there? When a, when a member of the team isn't present, it hurts the body. It hurts the team. When a member of the team isn't fulfilling their role, it hurts the team. Cade played t-ball, and I'm sure I was guilty of it when I was playing t-ball as well. But if you've ever been to a t-ball game, the outfielder looks like this. 
and the ball's hit out by them, and they watch it roll by. <laughs> Go get the ball! Squirrel. Yeah, like that outfielder is not playing their part. And while the ball is just rolling past them while they're picking their nose or picking dandelions or whatever the case might be, the person that hit it's running around the bases and scoring for the opposing team. It's not just enough for you to be here on Sunday morning. What's your part that you play? What's your position? Because I depend on you. The church as a whole depends on you. We've all been gifted that opportunity to serve the Lord in a place to serve. I, mentioned, I already shared with you several portions of, of verses from uh, first, first Corinthians chapter 12. But maybe write down and focus in on it later on when you get home. Read verses 14 through 19, what it speaks about how we depend on one another as well. But let me finish. I've already taken too long already. But notice lastly with me that as I'm a gifted child, a gifted child of God. I ought, to, I ought to live as a humble servant. I ought to live as a harmonious sibling. And I ought to serve with a hearty service. See, now Paul speaks about the sincerity and the commitment of our service to the Lord. Notice verse number six with me. He says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Having. Having is a possessive tense, right? It's not to have. It's not the possibility of receiving. He says having. My friend, I'm here to tell you this morning, do you know Christ as your Savior? If so, you have gifts that God has equipped you with. And you have gifts that he's equipped you with to serve him. Having gifts, he says, differing according to the grace that is given to us. He then goes on to speak about those gifts. We'll get there in just a moment. But notice the calling that we have. He says, you have these gifts, so here's how you use them. If God has given you a gift to serve him with, guess what he expects? He expects you to serve him with it. He expects you to give your part. I mean, if he didn't expect you to, to do your part, he wouldn't give you the gift. And if he didn't expect you to do your part, he would have already taken you to home to heaven to be in fellowship with him face to face. But notice our commitment to this. As he goes into verse number six through verse number eight, he speaks about different areas of gifting. First one being a prophecy. I'm going to just quickly go through these before we close so we have a grasp and an idea of what it's meaning. And no doubt when he speaks about prophecy there in verse number six, that would speak to the fact of being able to, the gift of sharing inspiration from the Lord. Now, we know, as Paul wrote to Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. That means that as Paul was writing, that the Holy Spirit inspired him, that making it the, the divine word of God that we hold today. Of course, the gospel's the same. All the Old Testament would be the same way as well. 
But we also understand that the Bible teaches that, that there has been a close to that type of prophecy. He is no longer giving new inspiration or new divine revelation. So when he speaks about prophecy for us today, it would be as, as John Phillips would have described it, as illumination of the scriptures today rather than a prophetic inspiration. I would warn you and I would caution you to, when you hear a preacher or a, te a spiritual teacher stand up and say, I've got a new word from the Lord. Because that's just not scriptural at that point. Because the scripture has been closed. This divine revelation isn't being given in the way that it was in those days. But he does give certain individuals the gift of being able to read his word and the illumination of that word as well. I don't believe this is something that is only reserved for certain people. And, and I mean, I believe he's given it diversely. He's given it to a diverse group of people as well. But no doubt a pastor or a teacher ought to have some essence of this gift, yes, no doubt, so that they might be able to illuminate the word to those that are hearing. He speaks of ministry. This would, of course, encompass just a large area of service for the Lord. But I want you to take note of this, that that word ministry is the same word in which we would have uh, had uh, interpreted it to be said as deacon. And here's the, here's the point in me bringing that up. As we don't get too prideful about our service, let's not get too prideful about our titles either. Because truly, that's simply what a deacon is is a servant just along with the pastor as well our job our service in the church is not to have some prestigious title and say look i rule the church is to say i'm here to serve god first and the people of god secondly that's what it means and he says some he's equipped with that gift you know who's serving you know who's ministering today those ladies in the nursery the ladies that are teaching our two and three-year-olds, our four and five-year-olds, the matchets and the helpers next door as they're helping the uh, first through sixth graders. You know who's ministering today? The men who walked down this aisle and extended an offering plate in front of you to give you an opportunity to give to your Lord. You know who's ministering today? The people who greeted you. People who said, hey, hello, how are you doing today? They didn't wear necessarily an usher's tag. They might not even actually held a specific title of being a greeter. But they said, hey, glad to see you today. You know who's ministering? Those people are. It's when we're looking for the needs of others over our own. He speaks of teaching as well. And James warns in James chapter 3 about wanting to be many masters or many teachers because we will be judged for how we teach the people of God, no doubt. But we understand that God has equipped some with that gift of teaching to be able to faithfully study the word of God and to teach it to others. He gets, speaks about the gift of exhortation, and that just simply is an encouragement or a building up of others. Let me ask you a question. Not, I mean, and probably you're not going to be like, oh yeah, that's me, but some people have a more positive outlook on life than others. Some people just are, it's, it's inherently negative, okay? The Lord can fix their heart, that's all right. But some people just automatically, they're just positive about everything. Can I say that if you have a positive outlook on life, 
I would, uh, I would assume probably that the Lord's equipped you with this ministry or this gift of exhortation. So you're able to find the good in everything and encourage others. Yesterday before we left the uh, bonfire, there were several people that were still there wanting to sit around and such. And my wife had already taken the kids home to get bathed and get into bed and such. And I said, look, I ain't going to tell you you have to go home, but I'm going home. And uh, whoever's last here, put out the fire and uh, make sure the stuff's put away and all that. And uh, we'll see you in the morning. I'm keeping the list, though, of who's late to church. And that's, that's what I said. But, uh, of course, I, I started to head home. And as I was leaving, Heather Wilson was sitting there. And she said, oh, Pastor, thank you so much. Uh, uh, see you later. I uh, hope you have a good day and, and, and uh, have a good night. I said, don't be so excited. I'm leaving. Jeez. <laughs> that's kind of just her personality, though. She's always bubbly and per happy about different things and stuff like that. Those type of people, I believe God has gifted them to be able to fulfill this ministry of exhortation. If that's you, look for those opportunities. Look for ways to serve. He speaks of giving. And he speaks specifically of giving with simplicity. And that just simply means uh, that we give without pretense or without hypocrisy. We're not giving so that we might be noticed. I was at a church yesterday that was just the hosting place for a, 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 my daughter's piano um, competition. And, and they had this big board when you first walked in. And it had pulpit, and it had somebody's name underneath it. And it had some chairs, and it said somebody's name underneath it. And it said the water fountain, and it said somebody's name underneath it. And it was recognizing all the people that gave so that those items in that building could be purchased. And uh, I don't, there's nothing wrong with honoring folks who go above and beyond. I, I, I believe that's important, that's necessary. But if that's why we're giving so that I can have my name on a plaque enshrined for all of eternity, that I gave so that toilet could be bought, that's the wrong reason to give. We ought to be giving, uh, we ought to be giving in simplicity, without pretense, without, uh, without um, hypocrisy. I believe every believer has been commanded to give to a certain extent. But I also believe that God has equipped others, not because they have a large bank account, but he's equipped them with a heart that says, I want to give. He speaks of leadership, and no doubt we, don't, we can't deny the need of strong scriptural leadership in our world today. But he's equipped some with that ability. He speaks of mercy as well at the end of that verse. And, and uh, that is the opportunity, of course, to show compassion, mercy, and love to others to, in, their, in their time of need. Someone has said compassion is like this. You're hurt in my heart. And some people just have that ability. You say, why? Because that's just a personality? No, because God's equipped them with that gift. Now, those are just several areas that God has gifted but the question is, is where has God gifted you? You say, Pastor, I'm sitting here this morning, and I don't feel like I'm gifted anywhere. Just because you aren't, don't feel like you're gifted doesn't mean that you haven't been gifted. Here's, let me say this, and I'm going to shut her down. When I was in college, I had already been called to preach. I knew that. I was training for whatever the Lord would have me, but I was in a missions conference. And I remember feeling impressed to say, God, yeah, I don't believe you've called me to the mission field, but if you were to call me, I've, I'm already surrendering. And I'm not making some crazy announcement this morning. I've not been called to the mission field. 
But I'm here to tell you this morning that if God had already, if God calls me, it's already been decided I'm going. Let me say this this morning. God has given you a gift and you might not even know what it is yet. So let us all have a heart of surrender that says when God opens up the door of opportunity, that might just be his way of saying, this is where I've gifted you in. I've known people where I've said, hey, I need a teacher for this class. Would you consider? I can't teach. Are you crazy? I said, just pray about it for a little bit. You know, who's, you know what happens most of the time? They say, all right, pastor, if you think I can do it, I'll do it. And they surrender to that. And you know what happens? The Lord equips them with the ability to do exactly what they thought they never could do. When I was speaking to uh, you yesterday, you were saying you sang at four, four years old, is that right? In the, uh, as a little kid? I sang as a four-year-old. Same thing. Yeah, yeah she's, she's hung up, the, hung up the everything there. Away in a manger, right? That's what I sang at four years old also in the little Christmas play. By myself on the stage. The widow wore Jesus. A sweep on the hay. And, uh, man, I remember doing that. And then I didn't really do any more singing for a long time or anything like that. And uh, then when I was asked to, I was scared to death. I can't do this. There's no way. And, uh, of course, uh, I, I did that. And the Lord's blessed and had the opportunity to sing for him all, uh, numerous times. I remember the first time I ever preached the message. I thought, there's no way I could do this. Five minutes for a watch night service at the, end of, at the end of the year in church. Five minutes seemed like an eternity. But I wrote my message and practiced and was pre- tried to be prepared. And I stood up there and preached and not knowing that that was what I would do now for my life's calling. All I'm saying is in the times that you feel like you can't, if God's opening the door for you, he's already preparing you. He's already equipping you. Why? Because he's gifted you. And I'm here to pronounce to you today that you are a gifted child. You might have looked at your life and said, I'm worthless. You might have looked at your career and said, it's not accomplished much. You might have looked at your education and said, I barely got by by the skin of my teeth. I'm here to tell you this morning, regardless of any of those things, you are a gifted child because God, your heavenly father, has gifted you with an opportunity to serve him. Are we going to be humble in our service to him? Are we going to be harmonious with one another as siblings? Are we going to serve heartily and be devoted to serving him? Or are we going to be like that little outfielder, four years old, picking daisies in the outfield and let the ball roll by? You have a part to play, my friend. Listen to me. You have a part to play, my friend. And if you don't pick up the position, who is? Because God's equipped you. God's gifted you. Would you stand your feet with me, please, with your heads bowed and our eyes closed? Have a time of invitation. I know I went a little longer than normal to this morning, but I believe this is an important message for those of us who call Christ our Father. For He is our Heavenly Father, and we are His children, and He has us here for a purpose. I want to ask one question first off, and with our heads bowed and eyes closed out of respect of others this morning. I wonder if there'd be anybody, how many here would say, Pastor, I know for sure I'm saved. I know that God's my heavenly father. And if I, kn- I know that if I die today, that I'm on my way to heaven, that heaven's my home. Could I rejoice with you? Just slip your hand up and right back down. Hands all across this auditorium. I praise God for that. 
I wonder whether there be someone here this morning who would say, Pastor, as you've been speaking about God's gift, about his blessings, and about how good he's been to me or been to others in their lives. Pastor, honestly, I don't know that I'm saved. I don't know that I'm a child of God. I don't know that I've ever been equipped with any of these things as such. Now, I can't get you saved. I can't do anything to save you, but Jesus Christ has already paid the, pr- the price for your salvation. And would you allow me the opportunity to pray for you that you would trust him as your Savior today, that you would call upon him today as your Lord and Savior? If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm not sure that I'm saved. I'm not sure that heaven's my home. Could I just simply pray for you? I'm not going to embarrass you or anything like that. Just slip your hand up and write back down. Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not sure I'm on my way to heaven. Then one last question. How many here would say, Pastor, I know that I'm saved. I know I'm a child of God. I know that I have a part to play. I know I have a position. I know that I have a part on this team, this family of God. And I know that if the Lord has a place for me, which he does, that he's already preparing and equipping me. Even when I don't see it, he's preparing me and equipping me to serve him in that capacity. How many here would say, Pastor, pray with me that I would just yield and surrender to his will. Pray with me, Pastor, that I would just live for him and serve him where he'd have me to serve. Could I pray with you this morning? Slip your hand, your hands up. Hands up all across this auditorium. I, I do believe that ought to be the prayer for every believer, no matter where you're at, no matter how much you already serve, no matter what you've already done in service for the Lord. It ought to be our constant prayer. Lord, let me be surrendered to you that I might just fill the positions, the places, the service that you'd have for me, regardless of what it is. Because I know that you're gifting me and that you're going to equip me in those areas. I'm going to pray. And when I'm finished praying, if you'd like to come to the altar and uh, pray and ask the Lord to help you in those areas, to surrender to him in that, you're welcome to do that. If you're unable to kneel right there in your seat, I would encourage you to call out to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm surrendering right now. Here I am. Here's, here's, here's my life. And however you'd have me to serve in your church, in your local church, this is how I would do it. And uh, just give your heart to the Lord this morning. Our Father, we thank you for this day and we thank you for the message. We ask now that you not only equip us, because we know you do that, but Lord, that you would open up the doors for us to serve you in those areas and that as you open those doors, we'll just be submissive and we'll follow your lead right into those positions you'd have us to serve in. Lord, I ask now that you'd be honored and glorified through this time of invitation, that your will be accomplished in the hearts of your children today and that we might be unified and stronger as the body of Christ because of our willingness to submit and to serve you. Lord, we're offering ourselves this morning just as a living sacrifice to do as you please. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As the music begins to play, I encourage you to make your way forward if you can. If you're, if you're unable to kneel, but right there in your seat, would you call out to the Lord and say, God, here's my heart. Here's what I've done. Here is my service. Here is my life to serve you with. Ladies, there's a need in this in, in our nursery to make sure that each service is filled, to make sure that the same ladies don't have to do it over and over and over again. Would you not give one service in service to your Lord? Matchets are next door in our children's church. They're not getting any younger. 
I don't know how much longer they'll be able to serve in that capacity without overexerting themselves. Somebody's going to have to pick up the torch. Somebody's going to have to fill that position. Somebody's going to have to take up the slack. Somebody's going somebody's to have to enter into where they have been placed by God. Our bus ministry could use workers. Our ushers could use some help. Greedy folks could use some help. We've got desires and plans for future classes if we could figure out where to put them. But that means there's going to need to be teachers. There's going to need to be helpers. There's going to need people that just say, Lord, I'm willing to be wherever you want me to be and to serve however you want me to serve. Folks who would say, Lord, when the opportunity arises, I'm going to just take that as a sign that, God, you want me to do that. And I'm going to trust that you're going to equip me in that area, even though, it's, even though I'm, I'm a little nervous about it, even though I'm a little scared about it, even though I don't know that I know how to or I could do it. I need to just have that heart of saying, Lord, I know that you'll equip me. I know that you give gifts. We're all different. We all have those different gifts. We have those different service areas. But they are all necessary. Would you look up here with me, please? I'm so thankful that you're here this morning. And uh, if you have any questions about where you, where you might be able to serve, I'd love to talk to you more about that. Um, if you have any questions concerning about how to know maybe what the Lord has equipped you with, I'd love to talk to you more about that as well. If you're uh, not a member of Mountain Vista Baptist Church, there's certain, no, doubt, there, no doubt even folks who aren't members, there's places where you can serve your Lord here. But there's certain things that we reserve only for members. There's uh, safety for our children, no doubt, of course. But also, the way I look at it is this, is how can, if I can't trust your commitment to the church, how can I trust your commitment to God and His service? And so, if you're here and you're not a member of Mountain Vista Baptist, and you've been attending regularly, and you'd like to consider making Mountain Vista Baptist your church home, I'd love to talk to you more about it if I haven't already. And so that we all can fill our part. We all can be where we ought to be. And serve our Lord as he's equipped us. So that the body of Christ isn't maimed or mangled. But that it might be strong. And might be able to serve him to its fullest potential. You can be seated if you would please. I thank you so much for your attentiveness and your graciousness. And allowing me to be a little long winded today. I know some have slipped out because of prior arrangements. Have to get to work and such as well. But uh, we're going to be dismissed here in just a moment. We're going to have our up next video. Find out what's coming up next. Hope that if you're able to be a part of any of these things, that you'll mark them on your calendar and um, be there. Make sure if you need to sign up for an event, get signed up using one of the iPads in the lobby there as well. And then, Brother Joseph, do you have that microphone back there? Or who's got it? Okay. If you would, just dismiss, dismiss us with prayer as soon as the video is over. But let's find out what's coming up next here at Mountain Vista Baptist.